Coming up this evening on NTD Business. Russia says it may pay its U.S. dollar debt in rubles. It's blaming the West for freezing its assets. The war threatening the global semiconductor supply chain, as if it didn't have enough problems. And China locking down a city of 17 million, an important manufacturing hub in fact. So what does it mean for inflation in America? That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Paul Graney here live from New York City. Russia says it can't pay its dollar debts because the West has frozen its money. But if it owes you money, don't worry. It says it'll pay you back in rubles instead. Although the ruble is down 40% and falling against the dollar in the past month alone. Russia claims 50% of its foreign assets have been frozen via Western sanctions. CNBC now reports it has key repayment dates coming up, beginning with a $117 million U.S. dollar payment due Wednesday. Russia denies it's going to default on its debts, but Western authorities aren't convinced. The IMF warning it's possible, but says it probably won't cause serious knock-on effects in international markets, although we have heard that before. A default, though, could mean billions of dollars of losses for U.S. investment giant PIMCO, U.S. pension funds, are among its clients. And now Russia's fertilizer king is warning there will be a global food crisis if fighting continues in Ukraine. He wants it to end. The founder of Russia's largest ammonium nitrate producer called the conflict, quote, truly tragic. He says the supply chain already disrupted by the pandemic is now faring even worse. Some farmers can't afford fertilizer. He's warning of food shortages in the world's poorest countries. President Vladimir Putin warned last Thursday that food prices would rise globally due to soaring fertilizer costs. Russia counts for 13 percent of the world's fertilizer output. It's not just food. Semiconductor chips and their battered supply chain also seem to be at risk. Neon is a gas that's crucial to semiconductor making. And half of it, half of it, comes from two companies in Ukraine, two companies that recently halted production. Edith Khan Fredrickson reports. Ukraine makes half of the world's neon, and its two biggest suppliers are stopping production. Neon is essential for semiconductor chip production, and semiconductors are essential for many of the electronics we use, such as cars, phones, and computers. Ingus and Creon make 45% to 54% of the world's neon, according to Reuters calculations. And Ukraine makes 90% of the United States' neon. It's not just everyday neon. It's a specialized kind of gas that we use in semiconductor production. You know, semiconductors require lasers, and for manufacturing, that process requires a lot of neon gas. Bakil is the CEO of supply chain risk management firm Resilink. Bakil says there's neon in other places as well, but it takes time to build up the pipeline and volume. The current production is in jeopardy, and we only have a few weeks or several months of supply. Um, so the longer this this uh, fighting gets drawn out, the more in jeopardy our supplies are. Semiconductor stocks have sharply surged very recently when you look at the past five years. But the past five days show a downward trend. The total neon market is somewhere between 50 million and $100 million in revenue per year. Um, so when you think about a semiconductor market where Intel alone does close to 20 billion a quarter, 
it's a relatively small component cost-wise. Matt Bryson is a senior vice president at Wedbush Securities. Bryson believes chip makers can give other neon suppliers the funds to build their supply and that it won't be a huge deal. Chip manufacturer Infineon, based in Germany, told NTD they currently see only limited supply disruptions in global supply and no impact on our manufacturing capabilities. They say they have several suppliers spread over different countries. Alan Fredrickson, NTD News. Several hundred foreign companies have exited Russia since it invaded Ukraine, but some companies are staying, including American and global drug makers. According to Kaiser Health News, Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson, Novartis and Abbott will continue manufacturing and sales in Russia. They say it's important for them to supply essential and life-sustaining products to Ukraine, Russia and the surrounding regions. Medical commodities are exempt from the U.S. government's economic sanctions of Russia. Some of the drug makers have pledged financial aid to support humanitarian efforts in Ukraine and to stop further investment in Russia. All four drug makers' shares finished in the green today, unlike the broader market. Wall Street ended mostly lower, led by a drop in the tech-heavy Nasdaq today. The Dow was flat. S&P 500 fell 31 points, three-quarters of a percent, and the Nasdaq lost 263 points, about 2 percent today. And joining us to discuss all things market is money manager Ted Oakley, managing partner at Oxbow Advisors. Ted, great to see you as always. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Paul. A lot of red on Wall Street, Ted, over the past month or so, conflict in Ukraine, inflation. Now we have the central banks beginning to tighten policy. Seems to be a stressful time to be an investment manager. Well, it is. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I, I've been around a long time, so I sort of knew what to expect. I do think, actually, uh, that this will be different for a lot of people because a lot of people have been in the industry for the last 12 or 13 years. And this looks to me, at least, and us at Oxbow, like a classic bear market. So I think people will, um, it'll be interesting to see how they navigate it. But so far, I've noticed that uh, they buy the dip and they just keep on getting burned. But that's, that's classic bear market, though. We've heard over the past couple of years, Ted, that the stock market is dislocated from the real economy. When you say bear market, are we looking at a recession in the real economy as well? I think, Paul, if you, when you go in with the Fed this week and they raise rates, and we're really close to an inversion between, say, for example, the, the two and the five, the two and the 10-year Treasury, when that happens, wouldn't say it's a, it's not a guarantee, but it's a very, very high probability that then that you will have one or two down quarters. We actually think we will anyway. We put those odds at better than 50% that we will have at least one negative GDP quarter, if not two, but at least one. And so uh, if the Fed goes ahead and goes on through with it, I think it will invert that curve and all of a sudden you'll be, uh, you'll be facing something you haven't faced in a while. Wow, incredible to hear it. Are you expecting stocks to go much lower, Ted? You know, we are, and I will tell you why, Paul. Uh, one of the things we've noticed is that even, you know, the bear, the bear market, actually NASDAQ today officially went into a bear market down more than 20. Russell uh, 2000 was down 21 uh, year to date. So they're, you know, they're, they're in a bear market and uh, technically, but Here's the thing. I look back last week and we had this enormous amount of money that came in that rushed in on the low days uh, again. And um, I've got a couple of graphs uh, that we keep around that show 
you know, last year was the biggest year ever for money coming in the market, ever. It was bigger than the 19 years before that. And so what happened is, uh, if you look back, uh, going back to about March of 21, all of that money that came in is now underwater. So see what happens is, that's the way you beat people down in a bear market. So our idea is the Fed can't help you right here. You'll probably have to go down another 10 to 15 points in order to uh, get some sort of pivot in here. And, and that may not be the end of the bear market, but it may put you in a position where you really get a nice rally out of that. But uh, it, it really depends. But if they come through and keep on raising rates, they can't go over and support the stock market at the same time. That's the wedge you're in right now. That's a significant haircut, uh, Ted, if, if it were to happen. How are you rejigging your portfolios or how are you going defensive? Well, we, we, we were always defensive. Uh, we only have three portfolios, and one of them is, is basically a sort of a bulletproof kind of portfolio. It's re very short-term, very short-term, uh, and it's in great shape you know, uh, right now. Actually, it's, it's, uh, we hadn't lost any money this year, uh, even with bond funds down and bonds down, because we have very short maturities. The middle portfolio is a high income portfolio. And on there, we own a lot of, of uh, resource type things and that inflation type hedges and that sort of thing. And that's actually uh, helped us a lot this year. It's actually up a little bit for the year. Now where we've been affected, and we have 30% cash in our stock accounts, but you know, on a bear market, uh, they all go down. <laughs> I mean, you can choose the best fundamentals you wanna have, but if you go to an extended bear market, you, it's hard to hide unless you're in treasuries. And so um, we're high cash all the way around. You know, we probably average right now close to 35 to 38% liquid. We'll use that though. It, we usually, we'll use it as opportunity uh, for us, but that's where we are, right? That's how we really fend off the bear market. Let's, let's talk cash. I've got about 30 seconds, Ted. Let's talk cash and inflation. Any assessment of where we're gonna go over the next 12 months? I have to say on inflation, I think your highest months will be, you know, February, March, maybe part of April. Then I see us coming back down. We'll still have inflation, but we think we're going to be more on the order of uh, probably four to five points at the most, if you have that. Ted, really appreciate it. Ted Oakley, Oxbow Advisors. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. Today, the International Monetary Fund said it expects Ukraine's economy to shrink by 10% this year and the war keeps going, could get even worse. 2014, when Russia annexed Crimea, Ukraine's economy fell about 7%, but it dropped another 10% the next year. So we'll move from Ukraine to the other parts of the world where Elon Musk warning yesterday inflation is hitting his business. He said Tesla and SpaceX are facing pressure, especially in areas of raw materials and logistics. In a tweet, Musk mentioned an article about how the Ukraine-Russia conflict has sent commodity prices to their highest levels since 2008. That includes the price of metals used in cars, from aluminum to high-grade nickel needed for EV batteries. And while these metals aren't currently the object of Western sanctions, some shippers and suppliers of, are steering clear of Russian goods. This is car makers are already reeling from a chip shortage and higher energy prices. Tesla shares have lost about 25% year-to-date. Last week, it raised the price of several of its vehicles, including its Model 3 long-range sedans. Rent control is making headlines again. It's been a while. Rising inflation is pushing rents up. Now more people are calling for rent control. 
Even though some experts believe a quick fix, it doesn't fully address the problem. Entity Sean Marshall has more. The issue of rent control has resurfaced as rental prices hit record highs across the country. Rent control is a government program that places a limit on the amount a landlord can raise his monthly rents. Lawmakers across the U.S. are looking to enact these measures in an effort to offset the rise in rental prices. Economist Wayne Weingarten at the Pacific Institute says rent control is a bad idea. There, there's a fundamental problem in the housing markets where there's insufficient supply uh, and you're just worsening that. So what you're doing is trading one bad outcome for another bad outcome. Uh, you're not actually helping anyone. These proposals would generally allow landlords to boost monthly rents by no more than 2 to 10 percent. They're on the legislative agenda in more than a dozen states. Rental prices are up about 18% on average over the past two years. One garden suggests looking at the fundamental problems first. First and foremost, we need to get inflation under control because rents aren't driving inflation as much as inflation is driving rents to some extent. And then we need to look at the regulations that are restricting supply. He also says we need new builds and to get more housing units available for people. And focusing on those policies is the best way to address the problem of housing unaffordability. Sean Marshall, NTD News. And Apple's biggest parts supplier, Foxconn, is one of many businesses suspending operations in the Chinese city of Shenzhen. Authorities have begun enforcing strict lockdown measures as the country records more virus cases so far this year than in all of 2021. Anthony Don Ma has the story. Authorities announced Sunday that all non-essential businesses in the city will suspend operations or implement work-from-home measures, starting today through Sunday. So China is 19 to 20, you know, 19 to 20 percent of all manufacturing in the world takes place there, and of that 19 to 20 percent of global manufacturing output, about 10 percent of that is coming out of the Shenzhen region itself. In Shenzhen, officials ordered the city's more than 17 million people to stay at home. The city is a major electronics manufacturing hub. Ross Kennedy, founder of a strategic supply chain analysis firm, says if the lockdown continues, it could affect the global supply chain. Automakers Toyota and Volkswagen are also suspending some operations. Supply chains aren't a light switch, right? You can't, you can shut them off very easily. You can stop sending people to the factories. You can uh, idle production lines, but what you can't do is turn it back on like a light switch, right? So it's very... He says the longer people are barred from going to work, the harder it is will be for businesses to resume normal operations. The delay or the inability of people to get to work or to function is not just a, you know, for every one day delay, uh, there's a day to catch back up. You're talking about for every one day delay, you're talking about two, three, four, five days of extra work to catch up. Uh, so it's an exponential thing. Uh, it's a Kennedy says that if the lockdowns continue for multiple weeks, consumers could feel impacts from the resulting supply chain disruptions. A significant amount of consumer electronic goods sold by Best Buy, Walmart, Target and Amazon come from China. Don Ma, NTD News. And just to note, China does usually underestimate its virus case numbers. U.S.-listed Chinese stocks plunged again today, including e-commerce platform Alibaba falling 10% in one day, search engine Baidu dropping 8%. Meanwhile, Chinese stocks listed in Hong Kong saw their worst day since the global financial crisis in 2008. 
Sell-off comes after a report Russia had asked China for military support with its war with Ukraine. Traders may be worried that could cause backlash against Chinese companies. Other factors could be behind the sell-off. China imposing new lockdowns to control the virus, as per Don Ma just now. Continued worries about Chinese firms being delisted in the United States. The SEC last week named five Chinese companies that could face delisting. It's the first time they've named names. And according to Goldman Sachs, U.S. institutional investors have around $200 billion worth of exposure to Chinese firms. On that, we take a quick break, but still to come, stay with us. A Yale professor says he's figured out a way to make negotiations more principled and fair. How can it help you through inflation? And superstar quarterback Tom Brady unretiring and returning to the Buccaneers. What do you have to say about the decision? That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. America's biggest bank will resume hiring unvaxxed workers starting next month. This morning, J.P. Morgan announced in a memo it plans to start easing pandemic rules. That means it's immediately dropping the mask mandate for all employees and no more mandatory testing for unvaxxed staffers starting April 4th. The shift highlights a growing trend of corporations looking to get back to normal. But J.P. Morgan said it will continue monitoring the status of the pandemic and could reintroduce requirements as needed. For example, bringing back the mask mandate if there's another spike in cases. Employees in New York City will still have to make local vaccination requirements unless the city lifts its order. And now for something that can maybe help you through negotiations during the pandemic. One professor has identified what's really at stake. He calls it the pie. His new book, Split the Pie, gives a new approach to negotiating, might even make it fairer. Today's Evelyn Lee asked him how it can help you during inflation. Joining me now is Professor Barry Nailbuff. He's an author and a professor of management at Yale. And his most recent book is called Split the Pie, which just got published last week, by the way. Congratulations on that, Professor Nailbuff. Thank you. Well, it's pie day today, so what better day to be introduced? Awesome. Um, it's actually also so great to have you on now in times of high inflation because um, it's so important now to save money wherever we can. So please talk to me about how negotiation skills will help with that. Uh, well, I'd say that negotiation is uh, begins with not being afraid to ask, uh, and in particular, asking with a reason. And so if you have a argument for why you can get uh, a lower price here. Uh, that uh, makes some sense. But I'm not in favor of just asking as in begging. Uh, it should be a principled argument for why somebody should give you a better price. And you say you should give the other party what they want to get what you want. So that's an interesting concept. Please tell me more about that. Yeah. Um, a lot of times when somebody asks for something in a negotiation, 
the view is I have to say no to them. But actually, the more they're, they're able to get what it is they want, the easier it is for them to give me what it is that I want, which means, of course, I have to figure out what it is they want so I can give it to them. I also have to tell them what it is that I want so they can give it to me. I want them to really want to make this agreement happen. If they're not happy with what they're getting, they're not so excited about doing the deal with me. So the whole purpose of this is to create a large pie. And the best way to make a big pie is to make sure the other side is excited about this deal, which means they're getting what it is they want. That doesn't just mean they're getting a lot of dollars. It's whatever it is they want is what I want to give them. You say parties should avoid taking more than half the pie, but we all encounter people in negotiations that aren't necessarily fair. So how can we deal with that? I'd like to start a negotiation with a discussion of how we're going to negotiate. So rather than first talk about price or interest, talk about the framework. And you can do that somewhat sarcastically. You can say, uh, look, do you each of us want to act like jerks, try and take advantage of the other as best we can and end up shouting at each other? And hopefully the other side will say no to that, at which point you can say, great, me neither. What I want to do is create a large pie that we can split. What do you say to that? And get the framework is something we can agree on. So can you give me a quick summary or the top three advice that you would give to someone um, to reach common ground? Uh, first, figure out what it is you're negotiating over. That is, what's the value that's created by coming together compared to what it is that you would each do on your own. Second, frame the negotiation in terms of that pie and recognize that when you create, that you're both equally necessary to create that deal and therefore the right thing to do is to split it. And third, start the negotiation off with a framework for how it is you're going to negotiate. Because if you can agree to split the pie, then you can emphasize and spend all your efforts on making the pie big. You don't have to watch your back. There's no Miranda uh, warning. Everything you say can and will be used against you. You don't have to worry about that because you've already resolved the issue of how to divide the pie. Thanks a lot for such valuable advice, Professor Barry Nailbuff, author of Split the Pie. Thanks for having me on Pie Day. And superstar quarterback Tom Brady is not going to retire after all. He announced his return to the NFL just six weeks after apparently hanging up his cleats. The seven-time Super Bowl winning quarterback said Sunday he's headed back to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This will be his 23rd NFL season. Brady, of course, considered one of the greatest players in National Football League history. His decision to retire at the start of February was expected, but his about face has left the sporting world stunned. On Twitter, Brady said, I've realized my place is on the field, not in the stands. His announcement quickly ended the Buccaneers' search for a starting quarterback. Brady spent 20 seasons with the New England Patriots, winning six Super Bowls before moving to Tampa Bay. While there, he led the Bucs to a championship in his first season with the team. Now, the 44-year-old's decision to retire came after one of the best seasons of his long career. And an Australian-Hungarian family is using their traditions of outdoor cooking to help Ukrainian refugees. They set up a kitchen to provide hot meals to those arriving at the Hungarian border. Andrew Thomas has more. 
Underneath the temporary canopy, Thomas Marheski and his wife Ilona stir large cauldrons of traditional Hungarian meat stew. They're preparing for hundreds of refugees from Ukraine. Thomas is an outdoorsman and the hungry director for the International Council for Game and Wildlife Conservation. We have a tradition of outdoor kitchens and for us it's like usual so to speak and we make our tradition now to work and use for the refugee crisis here. Many will have traveled for days towards safety and stood for hours in the cold at the border. Both Thomas and Alona said they feel a responsibility to help the refugees. Alona's parents fled Hungary for Australia during the Second World War, while Marhescu's family fled Soviet oppression. The inspiration obviously was the need, and uh, when you're at home watching the news you feel so helpless. And not that this is such a big act, but it's something to make you feel that it's important for people when they come off those trains to have somebody smiling at them and to know that they're, uh, there are people here that care. According to the UN Refugee Agency, more than two million people have fled the war in Ukraine into neighboring countries, including over 200,000 who have entered Hungary. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. And we finish this evening's broadcast asking, what are some of the best foods for your brain? Benefits include sharpening your memory, improving your mood, while reducing stress and anxiety. And according to a Harvard nutritionist, the list includes nuts such as walnuts, which have healthy fats and oils that can improve your thinking and memory, avocados, which have magnesium important for brain function, fermented foods like yogurt, kimchi, and kombucha, which provide nutrients for healthy gut and reduce anxiety, dark chocolate, but make sure it's the genuine stuff with the least sugar possible. Provides antioxidants and iron that may improve your mood and possibly reduce depression. Spices like turmeric and leafy greens round out the list. That's the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Paul Graney. Can still catch NTD Evening News with Stephanie Cox. That's at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. For NTD Business, it's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.